This is Xane Anderson and welcome again to the Principal Podcast today. Today, I am absolutely thrilled to have Debbie Baisden, who is a mom of four boys. She's a, she was widowed without warning and she co-created Mom Sanity, which is on, an online community seeking balance in motherhood, faith, finance, nutrition. She's got a, an amazing story. Debbie, thank you for being on the show today with us. Thank you for this opportunity. I'm super jazzed about it. So great. Well, tell us a little bit more about you and your story. Well, um, I've got four kids. Obviously, I had four boys in four years, which was not part of my plan. I never actually wanted kids. So <laughs> once that ring came on the finger, I was ready to have them. I just didn't know I was going to have so many. So <laughs> they're now teenagers, which is glorious. But I'm actually a former school teacher turned stay-at-home mom turned entrepreneur. So I stay super busy. <laughs> but um, I think I really like to share about how we can find purpose in our pain, how we actually can survive really big hardships and still come out the other side. Because I feel like when we're in the middle of it, it's really challenging to find that hope. So that's why I'm here today. I, we would love to hear about that. Thank you. So when you were you were blindsided by widowhood, I mean... Mm -hmm. What were the first days of that like for you? First days or weeks? I think I was at first so stunned in a total numb paralysis. It was emotional overload where I couldn't really think clearly. I couldn't process. It was very primal how those raw emotions were, where every breath took effort, every step took effort, and everywhere I looked in my house, I saw pieces of my late husband and, and I was just in disbelief because of course the plan is we're going to die together in our sleep when we're 99 years old. And that didn't happen. He's 35 years old and suddenly leaves earth for heaven. And it was shattering. It was a lot to process. It's still a lot to process today, but I think I just felt so overwhelmed and I'm grateful that I had so many kids because that forced me to be functional. I had lots of friends and family around, but I felt very debilitated because I never envisioned this would be my path in life. I, that's I'm sure. Can you tell us the moment? Uh, can you describe the moment of telling your four young sons that their daddy was deceased? I had about four hours to process the information just over and over trying to repeat in my head, my husband is dead, Aaron is dead, my husband is dead, Aaron is dead. And so once I got home and I'm praying a lot, this can't be real. Like this, this is a nightmare. I'm trying to pinch myself to wake up. And there were lots of people in our home. And so I, I said, please give us our time with each other. Please don't interrupt us. And so I could tell when my kids arrived at the house because they're super loud. <laughs> they were ages four, four, seven, and eight. So it's like a storm comes through the front door. And it's like the sound was getting louder and louder as it started coming towards our bedroom. And they come barreling in there, just loud, obnoxious. And they were like, why are there so many cars here? Why are there so many people? 
And I'm sitting there so stunned myself. This is such an adult concept. And I didn't know how to convey it to such small people. And I, I, in that moment knew you are about to intentionally hurt your children, which no parent would ever ask to do. We all are wanting to shelter our kids, carry burdens whenever possible, but I couldn't not tell them. And so I'm struggling with how to even get my tongue to move, to utter a word. I'm, I'm literally feeling physically like a hand is over my mouth. And that was very frustrating because I'm like, I can't say it. Don't make me say it. Make it not real. Maybe he'll walk through the door and he's actually alive and I don't have to say anything and everything's fine and we'll move about our merry way. But unfortunately, I said, I need you to sit really still because they were moving around a lot. And I said, please let me speak. Do not interrupt me until I'm finished. And I'm, I'm silently praying at this point, God help me. I, I don't know if I can do this. And I finally somehow had the words tumble out. I love you so much. I'm really sorry, but I have very bad news. And your daddy was working on his deer stand in the woods. And we know he went missing. Well, they found him. He fell from a tree while working from his deer stand and he is dead. And you will not see him again, this side of heaven. And I'm really sorry. And however you feel is totally okay. If you feel sad, angry, confused, it's all okay. But I'm so sorry. If we could have prevented this, if we knew it was going to happen, we would have stopped it. We would have done everything we could, but I love you so much. And at that point, I just started weeping uncontrollably. And those boys were very quiet. I think they were stunned, understandably, of course. One child who was four at the time did somersaults on the bed after this. And I said, did you hear what I said to you? And he said, yeah, I heard you. And, and at the time I was very angry at him. How dare you be so disrespectful after I just dropped this big bomb Later, I would learn that kids process grief and pain much differently than adults, whereas adults tend to break down and cry. Sometimes kids actually will stay mobile and active and play when they're actually grieving. So I had to kind of let that go, but there, there wasn't kids sobbing everywhere and uncontrollable, but they did understand. Even at age four, their brains could comprehend because there was never a moment moving forward where they said, I think I hear daddy's car in the driveway or what time does daddy get home today? They knew they never asked again. So it was this defining moment of inflicting pain on little people that you would die for. And knowing when you're an adult telling your story, it's going to start with the sentence of when I was X years old, my dad died. So it was very challenging. I think one of the most difficult moments of my life. Absolutely. Wow. Thank you. You know, for somebody, I appreciate you sharing that for, you know, I lost my mom at a young age and I remember my dad telling us uh, and, you know, trying to choke back the tears. Um, he said, he said, I think our mom's going to leave us. And she had had a cerebral hemorrhage anyway. We won't go down there for a little bit, but, I, but seeing it from, from your perspective and also from having experienced it from a child's perspective myself when I was eight years old, um, I really appreciate you sharing that. Thank you.
Well, I'm really sorry. That's really difficult. Well, and it, it's interesting because we do have such a huge effect on our on our children. I mean, I can tell you from my from my perspective now, there are things my mom did when I was five and six, just little things that still profoundly affect me today. And for any parents listening, I mean, your your effect, your your the strength of what you're doing is is far stronger than what you probably think it is. I mean, your your influence will go down for generations in ways you probably don't even comprehend. So I appreciate you, you sharing that. Now, I did want to ask you a question. You had a, you wrote a viral, a viral article called Stop Being a Butthole Wife, <laughs> and it went viral. <laughs> tell me about this article. And tell, yeah, <laughs> I didn't know anything would come of it, by the way. But, you know, I sometimes write for her view from home. And I really, a lot of times I think I'm, often writing to myself, kind of instructing myself. But what I shared was how the day my husband died and left earth, that was when all my marriage problems were solved. If you really think about it, there's no one to bicker with. There's no one to compromise with. There's no more arguments. There's no more strife. You have a better clarity of all of your shortcomings as a wife. I, I, I blew it. You know, I was a mediocre wife at best, and this man was gentle and kind and loving and selfless. And so I think I had this shifted perspective as my mother-in-law who lived with us for two weeks. I wasn't cherishing the mundane monotony. We get so complacent with our vanilla life that we're like, oh, well, every day is Groundhog Day. It all just repeats. And I'm thinking... This is a time for me to reflect. I was always nitpicking and let me be the help mate that God called me to be, which really just means nag and pointing out all your flaws, which is super helpful in a marriage. But instead, I'm like that laundry in just as a little microcosm was was a gift. That was a gift to me that unless you've lost a spouse sounds crazy. Like, why do you want to do laundry? But I'm like, no, I, I blew it. And there's nothing that I can do about it other than just say like, well, I hope I've learned some lessons. I hope I become a better person. But I really feel like if my goal is to live like Jesus, well, Jesus was washing feet. So that means servanthood. I'm not sure I was really measuring up as a willing, happy servant. And so as time went on, I fell in love again. That was unplanned and yet unstoppable. I, I fell in love with this amazing, wonderful human. And it was like this gift of you screwed up the first time, maybe don't screw up the second time. This brand new opportunity that I was given to stop being a butthole wife, to stop being short and cold and demanding. And instead saying, I want to be sacrificial. I want to die to self and serve you. And so there was this moment where my new second husband came home from work, took off all of his work clothes so he could put on casual home clothes to be with his family. And I happened to walk into our bedroom and I see this pile of dirty clothes and I smiled huge. And I happily scooped up the laundry and thought, I get to do this. I get, I cherish the laundry because he picked 
what was most important. He wasn't being a slob. A lot of people have said, well, he should clean up after himself. No, his priorities were family first. And so it, it has brought me a whole new way of looking at what's important in life in the day to day that actually that groundhog day has a lot of treasures to it that I, that I wasn't even noticing. I was mostly complaining about. So that's kind of the gist of <laughs> that article <laughs> of being a butthole wife. <laughs> I love that. So it was kind of this transformation from you're saying, why can't you find the hamper? Why can't you get your clothes in the laundry too? Oh my goodness. This is a privilege that I have. Yeah. And I'm so grateful that I get to serve someone because that privilege in your situation was taken away abruptly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The things that you are annoyed by now, you would miss when they're gone. You know, it's so profound. I love that, that view on it. You know, and sometimes you, we, as parents, we can go in and say, well, why isn't the house clean? And I've got all this and the kids have been making a mess and everything's there. You know, I talked to a wise grandmother once and she said, I miss that. I miss those times where things, because it's signs of life, right? Signs of, you know, they're making paper airplanes and they're all over the floor. They're, there's a little bit of mess because they've been playing house or whatever it is. At some point that also is going to end. And so why not just cherish it instead of being mad that the house is, is a wreck? And I, that was a profound thing for me because I found myself doing that where it's like, I've been a butthole dad, you could say, where I'm like, everybody here need to get the house clean and why isn't it clean? Instead of saying, you know what? Let's just get down on the ground and play house together. Or let's, let's just spend some good time together and those little details can wait. So thank you for that reminder. Brings tears to my eyes thinking about it because it's such a great reminder for, for parents for spouses to just be grateful for the opportunity to serve rather than <laughs> I've been a butthole dad. Thank you for reminding me. I've been a butthole husband, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I love it. Um, so let me ask you this. Is there anything that you would tell? I mean, I think in some ways you've shared it with your story here, but where you've gone for this through this horrible experience of losing a spouse. Is there anything that you would tell spouses or parents because of this experience that you, that you wish you would have known beforehand? And maybe you've already said it, but. You know, I, I think that, that everybody, it, it makes sense for everybody to take an accurate assessment of existing fault lines, the same way people are always looking at the shore of California. Where are the fault lines? Is it going to fall into the ocean? I say it's fair. Let's assess how we're doing marriage-wise, money-wise, parenting, faith, all of these things that are significant to us before <laughs> there is major catastrophe. Before California falls into the ocean, we should be prepared. So I think that's step number one is getting our finger on the pulse of how are things right now in our home with things that things and people that matter the most to us. And then to know there is going to be a last time, whether it's the last time holding a baby on the hip, the last time kissing a spouse goodbye, there is going to be a last moment because everybody's going to grow up if they're a kid and, and we're all probably going to die if we're going to be honest about it. So how can we learn to cherish the repetition in our lives, the, the boringness of it all, hugging longer, 
kissing longer, telling people you love them, serving them, buying them presents, spending time together, basically all that to say, what are your priorities? And is that speaking volumes? What are we saying with our actions? And ultimately, for me, I think what is most significant is to prioritize the Lord. When when God is first, everything seems to be so much more in order and make more sense and for there to be more peace and fulfillment when he is number one. Because I think parents a lot of times put kids above the spouse I'm very much against that because the kids are going to leave. I tell my kids often, you will not be 40 living in my basement. I will change the locks. And so I think we have to have that that proper hierarchy of the parents come first, focusing on each other's needs, and then the kids are right next in line. But ultimately, it's all falling under the umbrella of Christ. Right. And I think when we put that, that hierarchy where we put God first, and then our, you know, I heard like, you know, God, spouse, children, things fall into place rather than if you have, if you're a little off kilter, even though putting your children first sounds like it's like it may be a good thing to do. Truthfully, putting God first makes that all everything else fall into place too. Cause of course, God wants you to love and cherish your children. He wants you to love and cherish your spouse. He wants you to be a servant in your marriage and love unconditionally, even if it's hard sometimes. Uh, and so everything falls into place when you do that. Is that what I'm hearing? Absolutely. Yeah, I think we I think he's got a good plan since he created it all. I'm like, well, maybe maybe he's the one with all the answers on how this can function optimally, you know, with so much joy and satisfaction for sure. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing this. This this right here, this this thought that things will end. And if we can confront that and, and act, how do we want to be when things end? And you're being vulnerable and willing to share your story has been hugely helpful here. As just a bonus here, I know that you're into eating and exercise. Maybe you could just share a little bit of that because I know that's probably a passion for yours and this is a bonus for our viewers. Could you share a little bit about how busy parents can help you know fill their best with eating and exercise? I mean, any yeah. thoughts? Yeah. Right. Well, after my husband passed away, I was a stay at home mom and had this opportunity of what do I want to be when I grow up? I'm not going to go back to the classroom because I don't like children. Let's be honest. I made my own little classroom. I'm really not into kids. They're okay. But I was like, I can't, I've got enough going on with these little people at my house. And so I thought, what, what is my passion? What does light this fire within me? And I said, I I love helping busy women feel their best? How can that be possible amidst their busyness and their exhaustion and all their responsibilities? So I started pretty soon after my husband's passing, I I took this leap of faith and thought, okay, here I go. I don't know what I'm doing. I got certified and started doing group workouts at parks. So moms could come with their kids, their kids could swing while moms would sling around some dumbbells. And so I found a way for the ultra busy. I mean, they would leave and go to work. I mean, these women carry a a lot of responsibility, but I said, we can squeeze this in, in just a few minutes of exercise a week. Not every, you don't have to be like exercising and sweating like crazy every single day, but I think just incorporating movement into the day takes up a very small percentage. I'm talking like 2% of your day 
to think about moving and being active as well as nourishing this body that God has given us so that we have energy so that we can pour into our kids so that we can keep up and play with our family at the park and not say, I've got to sit down because I've seen from my own experience, how laying around and eating trash made me feel like garbage. And then I've seen how, you know what, if I eat foods, God grows and kind of move my body around. I feel, I feel better at 46 than I did at 29. And that, that is, that's my story. And so what I've loved to do is help hundreds, thousands of women to see, like, I can incorporate this without becoming Betty Crocker or Jane Fonda. So it's absolutely a passion of mine just to help women to feel confident in their skin. And then when you do, you have more to give to others. You can play with your kids. You're not saying I can't, you know, the kids have a ton of energy, right? We need, if we're going to be good parents. <laughs> If we can't keep up with them, we may not be as effective as we could be if we were had more energy. Uh, so just not only for yourself, which is important, but also for, for the sake of your family. Exactly. This is wonderful. I appreciate this. How can people reach you, Debbie? Well, there's several different ways. If you want to connect with me, I'm, I'm on all the social media platforms, but website wise, you can go to mymomsanity.com. You can go to fitwithdeb.com, or this is a long one, debbiewilkinsbasedon.com. And that's where I blog about faith and grief. So I would love to connect. Wonderful. And we'll put those links in the show notes for any of you interested in connecting with Debbie. Debbie, thank you so much for being on the show. Is there any last one thing you would tell parents if you could say anything to parents that you've learned that they could benefit from? You know, I think we have to honestly just take it one day at a time and try to, I love what you said about the grandma. I think we all need that grandma perspective. When we're at the height of losing our ever loving mind, I think we need to say, if I were an 80 year old person in this situation, wouldn't I cherish it? So I think if we can get to that point, I think that would be very <laughs> instrumental. <laughs> awesome. Debbie, thank you again for being on the show. Debbie Baisden, feel free to reach out to her. We'll have her contact information in the show notes. Thank you, Debbie, for being on the show. Thank you so much. I love it.